Why don't you open your Bible over to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Revelation 21, you're saying, oh boy, oh boy, this is a, this is a message on prophecy. Sorry, it's not. Well, I guess in a sense it is. It's telling you how it's going to be. But today we're going to be looking at the uh, topic, and it's a very important one, why good works cannot save you. Why good works cannot save you. We are covering the theological argument of the ages today. It is the most controversial of all issues that there could ever be, and uh, that is where we're going with this today. It is the difference between true Christianity and religion. It never goes away. It's always here. It's always a hot topic, so to speak. It was the difference between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. It is also the difference between heaven and hell. And so if there's anything we could cover in any message in this church, this would be right up there at the very top. Now, we're going to give you six reasons today why good works cannot save you. There's many more. I'm only limiting this because of time. That's the only reason I'm limiting this. So let's look at this, okay? While many today, and here's what's going on today, folks, and this idea of contemporary theology, what's, what's being talked about. And we're going to dive right into it in just a couple minutes here. While many people today will say that good works will not save you, they'll say it. They still believe that man's efforts do have a part in saving you. Now, they don't see it. They don't see. Many people are blind to the fact that they'll say, oh, no, good works don't save, but you have to live a faithful life if you want to make it in the end. Well, what is that? It's saying the same thing. It's just using different description to say the same thing. Many are confused. Many are mixed up on this issue. And so what does the Bible say? Well, we're going to cover six issues here or six points having to do with this. The first one is this. And honestly, folks, if we get this, it completely disarms arguments for works for salvation. If we just simply see this, and it is this, God requires sinless perfection to enter heaven. End of argument. You're guilty. It's over. Okay? This is what the Bible teaches. Revelation 21, 27. Yes, in a sense, it's prophetic, talking about what's coming down the road, talking about the eternal state, how that is. Here in Revelation chapter 21, 27, it says this, and there shall in no wise, no way enter into it, referring to heaven. Anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, okay, abomination is sin. That's what an abomination is. You might say, well, I thought there's, there's just a few things that are abomination. No, just do a word study on the word abomination in Scripture. It's sin. Pride is an abomination. Gossip is abomination, according to God. No wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works an abomination or makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now look at the middle of that verse. It says, not even a lie can make it to heaven. Every person in this room has told a lie, at least one, maybe, hopefully not. Maybe there's a pathological liar in the crowd. That's a person who lies so much they don't even know they're lying anymore. It's so much a part of their fabric as a person. But regardless of that, everybody who's here has told at least one lie 
and probably many over time. You might say, I've never told a lie. Have you ever tried to deceive somebody? Well, yeah, and you lied. That's what a lie is, deception. See, we don't want to admit our sinfulness. And that is where the problem is. The pride of man is the roadblock to getting to heaven. Man's pride is in the way. Man cannot accept the fact that he is guilty, he's sinful, he is, he is condemned before God as we are going to see. Have you ever told a lie? Yes, you have. Have you ever sinned? Yes, you have. You must be sinless to enter heaven. Not even one lie, not even one sin can enter heaven. This disqualifies all of us because none of us are sinless. That is true, that's what the Bible says, and therefore, if you didn't know anything else but that, we cannot enter heaven. It's closed to us at this point. We'll talk about how. You can get there in in, in a few minutes. But this right there is a very, very powerful truth. God requires sinless perfection to enter heaven. You're not sinlessly perfect. I'm not sinlessly perfect. Therefore, we cannot go. If that was the end of the story, no one ever since Adam and Eve would make it to heaven. You might say, what about Jesus? Jesus is God. That's different. He was sinless. He didn't even have a sin nature. People say, well, but he could have sinned if he wanted to. He just didn't want to, right? No, no, he could. No. God allowed him to experience the pressure of sin. He allowed him to experience what temptation was like. But friends, if Jesus could have sinned, he would have been less than God. If Jesus could have sinned, he would have had a sin nature, therefore less than God himself. Jesus is perfect. Jesus was perfect. He is still perfect, obviously, because he's the eternal Son of God. God himself, he said, I and the Father are one, okay? If God is sinless, so is Jesus. And the Bible says, by the way, just a few scriptures are rattling in my brain right now. Titus says, God that cannot lie. Doesn't say God who did not lie. It says, uh, Titus 1, 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. There's a difference there. You might say, well, that's not a big difference. It's a huge difference. Promised before the world began. So the Bible says, first, God requires sinless perfection to enter heaven. But secondly, we are all sinners and therefore stand guilty and condemned before God. Boy, we don't like to hear words like that. I'm here to tell you today, folks, we are guilty. We are condemned. Well, I'm not so bad. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. We are guilty. We are condemned before God. Look with me over to Romans chapter 3. So if we didn't go beyond number one, as I already mentioned, that's enough. You got to be perfect to get to heaven. None of us are. Therefore, none of us are going. See, you see the futility in people who still think that what they do, how they live, is going to merit them a place in heaven. It will not, as we will see very clearly here today. We are all sinners and therefore stand guilty and condemned before God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. All have sinned. The man who led me to Christ shared an experience once when he was teaching, and, and he said, he talked to some guy once, and he, he said, you know, the Bible says we're all sinners. And the guy says, well, He says, that depends on what you mean by sin. And he said, no, it really doesn't. The Bible says, we've all done it, therefore you're guilty. And that's true. 
Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short, come short of the glory of God. Look at chapter 5 of Romans. Romans chapter 5 in verse 12. It says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that was Adam, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We're all sinners. You got to be perfect to get to heaven. None of us are. We've all sinned. Therefore, we stand guilty before God. We stand condemned. Let me show you another one here. Look with me over to James chapter 2. I was raised Roman Catholic. Many of you were raised Roman Catholic. And of course, a, a big part of the agenda of the Roman Catholic Church is if you want to go to heaven, is you have to keep the Ten Commandments. Keep the Ten Commandments. Do good. Okay, keep the commandments. There's a problem. You can't do that. What do you mean? I keep the commandments. No, you don't. Have you ever broken one? Well, well, yeah, but then you don't keep them. Well, I do a pretty good job of it. Pretty good's not enough. You got to be perfect. Remember, you got to be perfect to enter heaven. We're not. We're sinners. We come short of the glory of God. James 2 verse 10, it says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law... Now, listen, did you know that the Mosaic Law is more than Ten Commandments? Did you know that? There's something like 613 of them. You don't have a chance, and neither do I. This is why you can't work your way to heaven. Your good works are not going to get you there. Because you've got to be perfect. You're not perfect. And neither am I. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. He's guilty of all. Let's say, for an example, you're one of these adventurous um, reality show, take a risk kind of, I can't, it it escapes me, that kind of a program. Oh yeah, We Are Nuts. I think that's the last one I saw. That's a joke. I don't watch them. But anyways, let's say, for an example, you and your buddy decide you're going to go mountain climbing, and you're going to use a chain, because you're thinking, well, chains are stronger than ropes. And so your chain happens to have 613 links in it. And so he, he gets to a point up on top of the mountain and he says, I, I got it, I'm secure. Is the chain secure? Yeah, toss it over. And he tosses it over and you're down there and say, okay, I'm coming up. Okay, good and firm, good and firm. So you start, up you go, up you go, up you go. Let me ask you something. How many links would have to break for you to fall to your death? One, just one. Yeah, but the, the rest of the chain was good. Only one brings death. You break one commandment, it's just like you broke them all. That's what God says. That's what God says. Let's say God said, no, it's only ten commandments. And you lived your life and you kept nine of the commandments for your entire life. Impossible, by the way. And you only broke one. God would say, you know what? It's just like you broke them all. And by the way, we've pretty much all broken them all, if you're honest about it. Which leads us to our third point. The payment for sin is death, not our good works. Now, that's a key. Most people don't understand that. The payment for sin is death, not our good works. See, I run into all this all the time. People say, oh, no, we're not saved by our good works. But you have to be sorry for your sin if you want to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. God says there's only one payment for sin. It's death. 
which is separation from God. Nowhere does it say the wages of sin. Now listen. Nowhere does it say the wages of sin is being sorry for your sin. Now, I'm not saying it's bad that we feel bad about our sin. I'm just saying that's not going to get you to heaven, being sorry for your sin. Well, you have to have penitence uh, for your sin, kind of a related term. By the way, the, the word that we have in our English Bibles, a lot of your English Bibles have this, repent, it is really poorly translated because the word repent actually came from the concept of penitence. Not the true definition of repentance. I'm talking about that word is related to the word penitence, which really comes out of the Roman Catholic Church. It's a works for salvation mindset. And so it gets translated over and people say, oh, repent. That sounds a lot like penitence. That means I have to be sorry. That means I have to try to reform my life. I have to turn from my sin. You have to turn from your sin to be saved? Friend, the Bible says the payment for sin is death, not turning from sin. You know, even Baptists. You, you, boy, you, you corner a Baptist on this, and they'll say, well, you don't have to turn from all your sins, but you have to be willing to turn from your sin. I'm going to get to this in just a couple minutes, but listen, getting ahead of myself a little bit, you are saying you have to make a mental commitment pledge that you will turn from your sins as best you can in order for God to save you. That's what that's saying. You have to be willing. Now again, listen, we as a church believe in good works, but not to get to heaven. We as a church, and I preach on it all the time, and some people even over the years have gotten uncomfortable with it. Well, I'm saved by grace, you know, and then you challenge them to live for Christ and live the life of good works that God has called them to live. And if they don't want to do that, and they end up leaving the church... I told them the truth. Yes, good works have a place, but not in getting you to heaven, not in keeping you going to heaven. We do it because we love the Lord. We want to serve him. He's called us to serve him, but that is a matter of choice. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Now, do you see the logic of it, why good works cannot save you? God requires sinless perfection enter heaven. That throws your good works right out the window because you're not sinlessly perfect. Therefore, you're disqualified. Not only that, we're all sinners, and therefore we stand guilty and condemned before God. We're guilty of all, James 2.10 tells us, because we've broken God's commandments. And number three, the payment for sin is death, not our good works. Romans 6.23, for the wages, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me misread this for just a moment. God knows what I mean by me doing this. I'm not trying to change Scripture, but highlight what it doesn't say. For the wages of sin is going to church. Nope. For the wages of sin is being baptized. Nope. For the wages of sin is stopping your sinning. Nope. For the wages of sin is giving money. Nope. For the wages of sin is keeping the commandments. Nope. The wages of sin is death. That is what the Bible says. Good works are not the wages of sin. Now, let me say this. What is a wage? A wage is something you earn. Is that not true? It's something you earn. It is a payment. We are under a death sentence. We have broken God's laws and stand condemned before God. We have earned death. We've earned it. 
Why? Because we've sinned against God. And God condemns sin. God is a holy God. He condemns sin. He won't let you into heaven with your sin. Not even one. Remember Revelation 21, 27? So you might as well quit trying to work your way to heaven because it's not going to happen. Which leads us to our fourth point. The Bible says clearly that good works have no part in saving us. Now, I know all these things are very related, but they're very related because they're teaching the same truth. See, when you understand this, you understand it. The Bible says clearly that good works have no part in saving us. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace, it's up here too, for by grace are ye saved. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's faith in Christ and what he did for you on the cross. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look at that, not of works. What does that mean? It's not of works. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't deserve it. You're saved by grace. See, salvation is not a mixture of grace and works. This is huge, folks. Get this. It's not a mixture of grace and works. We are saved by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's the unmerited favor of God. It is God reaching down and doing for us out of no other reason because he wants to do it. That's grace. It's unmerited. We don't deserve it. We don't do something that qualifies us. No. He in grace acts and he reaches down and he provides eternal life to anyone who will simply put their faith in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross and paid for their sins and rose from the grave. For by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves. It's not of yourselves. Can't earn it. You can't work your way to heaven. It is the gift of God. Gifts are free, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, if you could merit salvation, it would be by the way you live. That is not grace. If you could make it to heaven by the way you live, that's contrary to grace because grace is something you don't deserve. You don't merit. It's God doing it for you even though you don't deserve it. God doing it for me even though I don't deserve it. That's grace. But if I could earn my way to heaven, then I could deserve. Oh, I earned my way here. I deserve to be here. That's contrary to grace. And you're only saved by grace. For by grace are you saved. Do you see it? Any trying to mix grace and works is a false gospel and a false way of salvation that will not save. Let me tell you this. This may startle some of you. There are a lot of churches where people bring their Bibles to church and the people are not saved yet because they still think there's a mixture. They still think their good works have a part in saving them. You're not saved until you understand you're helplessly lost and only Jesus can save you. That's when you get saved. That's why you'll find churches and they'll say, well, you know what? I thought I was saved when I was a kid, but I wasn't. Or I I thought I was saved and there was a bunch of times I thought I was saved. And I went forward a bunch of times and all that, but I never really, I never really understood it. I was never, I never got it. Until at a certain point down the road, 
Do you know why? Because you were getting mixed signals, that's why. You were not getting it clearly. Salvation comes when you understand you can't even lift your little finger to save yourself. When you try to mix grace and works, it is adding to and trying to supplement the payment Jesus made. Now understand this. When Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin, he said, he said, God himself, it is finished. That means paid in full. When you say what Jesus did on the cross is not enough to get me into heaven, you are saying it was not paid in full. I need to bring my supplement to add on to that, and now I can be saved. That is blasphemy against God himself. He calls it an accursed message in Galatians 1. By the way, speaking of Galatians, turn there with me. If you're in Ephesians, just a couple pages over to your left. Galatians chapter 3, it says in verse 10, now before we read it, let's say you're here. You say, well, I don't care what he says. I still think I have to keep the Ten Commandments to get to heaven. I think I have to keep the law. Okay, here's what God says to you. Galatians 3.10, for as many as are of the works of the law, that's the commandments, are under a curse. This is God speaking, not this preacher. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Sounds like James 2.10, doesn't it? But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just, those who are justified, for the just shall live by faith. It's faith in Christ, just like we've been saying. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Okay, if you're going to say, I got to do them, then you're going to have to live it out. Well, you can't. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That's quoted from Deuteronomy. Now, listen, folks, this is so important to understand. Works have no part in saving us. There are three flavors of the same poison being peddled today. You ever seen the old westerns and there's the guy comes to town and he's selling snake oil or whatever you want to call it, the tonic, the elixir or whatever, and usually all it is is alcohol. It's, you know, probably makes it himself, which is poison. Well, you know, there's theological poison being sold today. But there's three different flavors, but it's all the same poison. Ultimately, all three are saying the same thing. Now, I want you to pay really close attention to this this morning. There's three of them. The first one we're going to call legalism. Legalism, simply put, it is the person, they believe you get to heaven by doing good works and nothing else. That is your ticket, good works. You know Jesus died on the cross. You know he did that. That's that's fine. But The ticket to heaven in your mind is doing good works, pure, plain, and simple. That's legalism. That you can get there by doing things. That's legalism. But then it gets a little kind of like shuffling the the little trickery goes on. Okay, where's the, you know, follow this. The deceivers, the deceptive people come into play, the preachers who do this. Then there's Arminianism. What is that? You go to heaven by believing in Jesus and doing good works. So it's a combination of good works and Jesus. Church of Christ, Arminian. Methodist, most Methodists, Arminian. Wesleyans, which are Methodists, Arminian. It's Jesus and good works. 
Yes, Jesus, you have to believe in Jesus. Jesus, he's so important. But you also have to do good works. And here's what they say. This is Arminian. If you don't do good works, if you've believed and you were doing good works, but then you kind of slack off and you backslide, you lose your salvation. God takes it away. Eternal life is no longer eternal. Well, then it never was. That's Arminianism. If you stop living a faithful life, you lose your salvation. Now, things are going to heat up a little bit. Are you ready to get a little warmer today? I checked the thermostats before the service today. Then comes something called Calvinism. Now, the Calvinists blow a gasket when I say there's really not any difference between Arminianism and Calvinism, really. Whoa! Watch out! What does Calvinism teach? Now, you know, there may be some of you in this room who kind of thought, well, I'm not an Arminian. I'm a Calvinist. I believe once saved, always saved. There's a problem, folks. Have you actually examined Calvinism? They say you go to heaven by believing in Jesus, but if you don't live a life of good works, you won't go because it proves you never had it to begin with. That's Calvinism. That part of Calvinism is called the perseverance of the saints. By the way, I wrote an entire book about this issue. We have it in our resource center called Secure Forever. Recommend you pick it up. That's what they say. You go to heaven by believing in Jesus Christ, but if you don't live a life of good works, you won't go because it proves you never really had it. So the Arminians say, oh, it's by faith in Jesus Christ, but you also have to do good works if you want to keep it. The Calvinists say, it's faith in Jesus Christ, but if you don't do good works, it proves you never had it. Both of them are bringing good works into the scenario. Do you see it? I hope you see it. It's what they call the perseverance of the saints. Very similar. Arminianism and Calvinism, very similar. Okay, they're cousins. How about this? Can I quote you some very famous Calvinists? When I glean this first one, this person was alive. I think this, this one, I think he's passed away. J.I. Packer, I think he, he passed away. Here's what he said. And by the way, very famous for some books he's written. One of the most famous books he ever wrote was called Concise Theology. A lot of Bible colleges, it's part of their curriculum, okay? He says this, and I quote. Now, I'm going to read this. If you're a Calvinist and you're watching, you're a Calvinist, don't get mad at me. He said it. I'm just quoting him, okay? Nothing personal here. He said this, and I quote, the doctrine, talking about in the context of the book, perseverance of the saints. The doctrine of perseverance of the saints declares that the regenerate, saved people, are saved through persevering in faith and Christian living to the end, and that it is God who keeps them persevering. See, this is how they get around it. Oh no, it's not by works. It's God who gives us the grace to where we can persevere. But you have to persevere, which means you have to live faithfully. But don't worry, you will if you're really saved. This is what they're teaching, completely contrary to Scripture. Let me say it again. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints declares that the regenerate are saved through persevering in faith and Christian living to the end, and that it is God who keeps them persevering. Only those who show themselves to be regenerate by pursuing heart holiness and true neighbor love as they pass through this world 
are entitled to believe themselves secure in Christ. Persevering in faith and penitence, not just Christian formalism, is the path of glory. Did you catch that? Now, hopefully none of you here said this. Well, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong. He added to what Jesus did on the cross and saying you have to persevere in the way you live your life. You have to live a faithful life. That is mixing the work of Christ with your works. That is a false gospel. Here's another one, very, very popular. He continues to be very popular. He's growing in popularity all over the world today. And on some issues, he's very good. But on this one, let me tell you this, John MacArthur would never be allowed in the pulpit of this church. He says this, and, and, and by the way, I've got lots of quotes. I'm just giving you some. John MacArthur writes, and I quote, A faith that is void of submission is merely intellectual faith and sometimes appropriately called easy believism. Easy believism is the view that saving faith is a solely human act. Those who adopt such a view must then scale back the definition of faith so that believing is something that even depraved sinners are capable of. That's what he said. Folks, this is false. Now listen, no one has ever explained to me why I ought to use the term saving faith. Because the term saving faith smacks in the shadows. Most people who use the term, not all, but most people who use the term saving faith, somewhere in the shadows there, it's if you don't live it, you really don't have it. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about, well, here's faith, but then there's this other faith. Fake faith, real faith. Listen, faith is faith. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. The idea of flipping on the light switch, okay? I did it today. Got up, went into the bathroom, flipped on the switch, okay? You might say, well, we do that all the time. Yes, we do, but you know what? That requires faith. Did you know that? Faith. I had faith that when I flipped the switch, the light would come on. If it didn't come on, it would freak me out just momentarily, just like it does for you. By the way, have you ever gotten up in the morning and there's a power outage? And you go to turn on the light and there's no lights? This doesn't work. That doesn't work. The coffee maker doesn't work. (laughs) And why is all that? Because you exercised your faith. You have faith. Everybody has faith faith. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where, well, it's you have faith, but you don't have saving faith. Based on what? It's always based on whether you're performing, whether you're doing good works or not. How many do I have to do? Both of these guys, J.I. Packer, only those who show themselves to be regenerate by pursuing hard holiness and true neighbor love, whatever that is, as they pass through this world, are entitled to believe themselves secure in Christ. How much neighbor love do I have to have? What if I fail occasionally? What if I'm a shy person and I don't usually show love to my neighbors? Not that I hate them, I just don't manifest it to them. Should I question whether I'm saved or not? The Calvinists would say yes, if you do that on a regular basis. Okay, how? What is regular? Well, you'll know. No, you won't. No, you won't. See, what MacArthur says is false. If you have faith that when you flip a light switch on, the lights will turn on, that is faith. Here's the issue, folks. It is not the kind of faith, but the object of your faith that is the issue of whether you get saved or not. 
The truth of it is this. Anybody who has confidence in themselves has faith in themselves. Well, I'm going to perform. I'm going to live a faithful life. You have faith in yourself. Your faith is in the wrong place. It ought to be in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. Listen now, MacArthur, and I continue. I quote, any doctrine of eternal security that leaves out perseverance, which is faithful living, distorts the doctrine of salvation itself. That's a quote. Let me give you another one. God's own holiness thus requires perseverance. God's grace ensures our persevering, but this does not make it any less our persevering. Let me give you a link just very quickly. This is no different than what the Catholic Church teaches, except it's a different flavor. It's a different recipe. The Catholic Church teaches through the sacraments, God gives you the grace to live a faithful life and make it to heaven by your works. That's exactly what they teach. MacArthur's teaching You not only have to put your faith in Christ, you have to live a faithful life. Oh, but it's not of works because God gives you the grace to live the faithful life. Folks, it smells bad. It's a poison. All three poisons are focused on man's faithfulness and works and not on the finished work of Christ. All three are false, accursed messages according to Scripture. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's all the work of God. All we do is put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. God does all the saving. God does all the keeping. Number five, faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to receive God's righteousness. Galatians 3.22 says, but the scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. We're all under sin. God provides the gift of eternal life. He promises it to all who will simply put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4 very quickly. I am well aware that pastors adopt lordship, salvation, Calvinism. Here's the point. I'm aware of some people, some preachers believe that because they're so sick of the sinful, carnal living of people in their church. So they kind of like scare them a little bit. They kind of want to spook them into doing the right thing and living the right way. But carnal living is not cured by adding works to the gospel. It just makes a person self-righteous. Self-righteousness is what the Pharisees were, and Jesus condemned them. The problem is having your faith in yourself instead of in Christ. Romans 4, verse 1, what shall we say then? Here's Abraham as an example. What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has where of the glory. What would he do with that, pastor? Well, read the next part. But not before God. For what saith the Scripture? That's a good place to start. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If you're going to work your way to heaven, you're going to, you're going to have to earn it by works, and you have a huge debt to pay because you've got to be perfect. 
verse 5. Oh, so important. But to him that worketh not. A person does not do works. But believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, Jesus Christ. Look at this. His faith is counted for righteousness. This is what God says. Are you telling me if you didn't do any good works and you put your faith in Christ, are you telling me you go to heaven? Yes, that's exactly what it says here. I don't believe that. You don't believe God? It's not between you and me, friend. It's between you and God. You need to quit having confidence in yourself and put it solely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works. Do you see it? Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And he won't impute sin to you if you trust in him that he paid for your sin. He gives you his righteousness. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We'll close in John chapter 3 and verse 17. See, this is why it says what it does. Now, I know it comes after 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Now look at the verse. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Why did God send his Son? That the world through him might be saved. It doesn't say, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to help them in their commitment and faithfulness get to heaven. It's not what it says. He came, friends, because he needed to. Romans says, chapter 5, verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. If you could earn it, then Jesus died needlessly. That's point six. If you could earn it, then Jesus died needlessly. Folks, salvation is not... Now get this. I heard this a few years ago. It's not original with me. It is so good, though. Salvation is not a bilateral contract. It is a gift. What do I mean by that? If you're not familiar with a bilateral contract, a bilateral contract is a contract between two people in which both parties exchange promises to perform. A bilateral contract, and by the way, that is the false gospel, is this. Jesus did his part. He did his work. I'll do my work. He was faithful. I'll be faithful. Where do I sign? God says, I don't make bilateral contracts when it comes to going to heaven. You either accept it as a gift or you don't get it. Jesus did it all. That's why it says in Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. The word frustrate means to make null or void, to set aside. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If you could earn your way to heaven by keeping the commandments, Jesus' death was a wasted 
death. But we couldn't. That's why he came. I hope you see it. The principle is clearly spelled out in Romans eleven six. And if by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be by works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. It's one or the other. You don't mix them. It's one or the other. Let me close with a question. If God so loves the world, why would he set an impossible standard for man to achieve to go to heaven and escape hell? If God so loved the world, why would he make it hard for man to escape hell if he loves us so much? It makes no sense whatsoever. I love you so, and I want you to be with me in heaven. Here's the standard. God, that's impossible. Well, I know, but here's the standard. No, Jesus came to do the work, and he offers it to us as a gift. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you do it today? 